For 22 days, now our nation has been reeling with shock and with anger at the savage assaults that took place on Shabbat morning, October 7th, 2023. I have found it as you have found it, and we have spent those days in fasting and prayer from this congregation for our friends in Israel. I have friends there, close friends that I've served with and worked with. I have friends who have family there. And it's just incomprehensible that we would think of such a hellish inspired slaughter that took place, kidnapping, things that I really don't even want to talk about from this pulpit this morning, unspeakable rapes, bloodthirsty people. And then I come home and my family says, have you heard about the murders in Lewiston, Maine? 18 people killed. And I sat and kind of just stunned grief because already that day I sat with a man, a man that I know, a man that I call a friend, a man that's not a part of this congregation, but just sat and listened to this burly, huge man weep for an hour as he shared with me the personal pain that he was confronting. I thought about the school shootings, the drive-by murders in Detroit, the lingering effects of COVID. I talked with a mother this week about her son that took his life. As I sat and I thought about all of these things, I thought about today's message again. Cancer, heart disease, divorce, Many of you in here, you've experienced that, the death of someone that you love. Yesterday, Becky and I attended the memorial service of another friend who passed away. And in this series that we've called Friendfluence, we've looked at what does it mean to be a friend? And we've looked at what the Bible says about friendship. We've looked carefully at building friendships with people that are from other faiths that don't share our faith as Christians, whether they be Jewish or Muslim or Hindu, how we build those faiths. And even though we have honest differences, friends can talk about those differences and still love one another and grow in their understanding of each other. And then we took a real careful look at what it meant to be friends in Christ and what that relationship looks like. And especially in our small groups, how we can build and nurture those friendships. But you can't talk about friendship without talking about pain. The week that we looked at the love that Jonathan and David had for one another that was not a, a homosexual love, but it was a genuine, deep hesed is the Hebrew word. In the New Testament, the word is agape, a, a selfless, self-giving love that Jonathan and David had for one another, even though it cost them both dearly to have that friendship and that relationship, perhaps costing Jonathan more than it cost David. As a passionate follower of Christ, as a, as a Christian, I, I have to ask myself, then, how can I be a friend to my friends who are in pain? How can I come alongside of them and befriend them when they're hurting and they're experiencing the, the worst that life can bring to them? And so 
I promise you, you're going to use this message for the rest of your life. So I want you to get your notes out. I want you to take good and careful notes this morning. I have a Muslim friend that she listens to these sermons every Monday morning at her workstation because she would be in trouble with her husband if she listened to them at home. And occasionally she will call just to say, thank you, I'll be using this for the rest of my life. I can promise you this is a message you'll use for the rest of your life. The fall of human beings in the Garden of Eden did something that we still don't fully comprehend in our world. God created everything good. And when he created us, he looked at human beings and he said, very good. I mean, look at your neighbor this morning and say, God created you very good. And if you're the husband of the person you're talking to, wink at him when you say that, okay? He created you good. But when Adam and Eve sinned, something happened in creation. And God told them as a result of your sin, as a result of what's happened, of your rebellion against God, that now the, the ground would produce thorns and thistles from your work, as well as flowers and fruit. And so there's still good in our world, even though there's bad in our world. In our world, hard work and investing should always produce wealth. That's how God originally intended it to be. But we live in a world where Hard work doesn't always produce good. I was working, and Becky and I were working in Argentina years ago, and when the economy collapsed and overnight, people lost their homes, they lost their savings accounts. It was total, total chaos. And it was a difficult time to walk through with folks there in Argentina. But it's because we live in a world that's broken by sin. We live in a world that suffers unspeakable violence, and Jesus was well acquainted with that violence and that pain. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5 and verse 7, that Jesus spent a great portion of his life weeping with cries and tears. But the greatest separation or the greatest suffering that Jesus experienced was on the cross when he died for our sins and there was that separation from God. And that's the greatest separation that can take place for any of us. It's not the loss of a spouse or a child, however that difficult that may be, but to be separated from God. And when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, while hast thou forsaken me, it was because Jesus took on the sins of all of human beings for all of time upon himself. And in that moment experienced the awesomeness of what you and I have never truly ever known because even in this broken world we live in, God causes the goodness of God to shine upon both the just and the unjust, the rain, the sunshine. God is good to all of us all the time. I want to look at several things this morning, and yet I don't want to wear you out. John Perkins is one of my heroes, uh, black man, black preacher who grew up in Mississippi. John Perkins said that this generation is the first generation to turn hate into an asset. And as I thought about what he said, you know and I know that 
we are being taught to hate one another in our nation. We're more polarized than we've ever been before in our nation. People have learned how to make a living off of making us hate one another, whether it's about politics or sexuality or immigration, whether it's about income gaps, women's concerns, race. You fill in the blank. There is somebody making money today off of leading us and teaching us to hate one another. John Perkins knew well the cost of pain and suffering. His mother died when he was a baby. His father abandoned him as a child. His brother was killed in an altercation with a Mississippi police officer. During the Civil Rights Movement, Perkins was beaten, was jailed over and over again. And yet, somehow or another, through the grace of God that he experienced in Christ, his heart never turned cold and hateful. Even though he confronted injustice and violence, and even though he came against this, what he's always advocated for is not only justice, but he's advocated for healing and hope and equality. And one of the things that I admired about John Perkins, and for those of you who are real young and you've never heard of him, I know you listen to Switchfoot, listen to the song, The Sound, where they pay tribute to John Perkins and his life and his love. But instead of feeding that cycle of hate and retaliation, Perkins has been careful to spread the good news that Christ preached while advocating not only for justice, advocating for reconciliation and forgiveness for love. And I tell you, this is essential for us who call ourselves passionate followers of Christ. We here at Woodland, we define our mission simply like this, as celebrating God's love by persuading people to become, say it with me, passionate followers of Christ, living like Christ, not a litmus test, not rules, but we do what we do, not because we're trying to earn a place in heaven, not because we're trying to be saved, but we do what we do because we want to be like Jesus. I still love it when people come up to me and say, down south especially, you remind me so much of your dad. That, that really thrills me. But if somebody could say of my life and of your life, you remind me of Jesus, that means more than anything. The Bible says in Proverbs 17 and verse 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Circle that phrase, born for. A brother is born for adversity. Here's a question for you and for me this morning. Who is a friend that loves you at all times? Who is a friend that you can always depend upon? Who is that friend that shows up when you're in crisis? Who is that friend that shows up when you're in grief? Who is that friend that shows up when you're suffering loss in your life? Ask yourself this question. Who is that friend that will see you through when other people think you're through or you're finished? Who is that person that will come alongside of you and put their hand on your shoulder and say, we're going to get through this together? That's the kind of friend that God is describing in Proverbs verse 17. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, the Bible says, laugh with your happy friends when they're happy and share tears when they're down. Circle that phrase, share tears. Share tears when they're down and discouraged. Tears are a gift to us from God. They, they, they help us. It's part of what makes us different from the animals because 
we cry for more than just reasons of physically cleansing the eye or the tear duct, but we cry for genuine, real reasons that are a gift to us from the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time. We're going to read a verse of Scripture of when David was in pain. And I'm going to Psalms chapter 13 this morning. Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn, answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Just a real honest showing of hands. How many of you can say I've been there when I've just thought, God, how long? How long have I got to bear with this? Almost universal among us. But look at these last few sentences. But I trust in your unfailing love. And I will rejoice because you have rescued me. And I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Father, I just ask you, would you help me, Lord, to teach us and to share the good news of how we can befriend those that are hurting how we can be that friend that others count upon. That, Lord, that we will be the friend that will see others through when others think that they're finished. For it's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I think the first thing, and sometimes for people like me who tend to be more task-oriented than they are people-oriented, and I confess that as a fault and something not to be emulated, but it's the ability to recognize when my friends are grieving, recognize when they're hurting, because so often in our culture we try to mask our grief and we try to hide our grief. I love what David is doing here because David is doing something that we are familiar with, but we don't often do in public, and that's he's lamenting. His heart is broken. When our daughter-in-law lost her child in a pregnancy, she called me and said, Dad, would you read this book with me on lament? And we read and we prayed together and we wept together. And there were times for she and Christopher that I would say, Lord, how long? How long? And on this side, as we watch Berechiah grow and laugh and play, as we watch him we rejoice, but I can remember the pain. I can remember when we were standing there holding them and that grief and that dark night, and they never forgotten that baby. Although people came along and said, God will give you another child, there are some losses you never really truly get over. That's why David said in Psalms 13 and verse 2, how long, four times he says that in the first few lines, how long must I struggle with anguish in my soul? How long will I have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? You see, when your friend is ready to talk and you recognize their grief and you're willing to walk alongside them, this being able to talk with someone, just being able to pray with someone can oftentimes help your friends to put their problems in perspective 
or else help them to see light when it seems there is no light. David felt forgotten, and David felt invisible to God. And that was what Jesus took upon himself was that, that separation where suddenly because all of heaven turned its back upon him because of his sin. You may have felt that before where you were invisible to people and invisible to God, but you're not. So by the end of his prayer and by the end of his talking to God, hope emerges and he declares, I'm going to trust in God. So when we recognize our friend's grief, when we're attuned and we look for those unspoken signals, those nonverbals in their life, we learn how to pray. We learn to pray in quietness and silence. We learn to pray for them at home. It's, it's what we call an experiment here at Woodland. We talk to Jesus about people long before we ever talk to people about Jesus because somehow another prayer touches their hearts. Sometimes I tell my friends, and I know this from experience, there have been times in my life it's been harder to hold on to my faith in God than it is to give up. Let me say it again. Sometimes it's harder to hold on to faith in God than it is to give up. But if you give up, you give into a life of despair. You give into a life of hopelessness. But if you hold on to your faith in God and let friends weep with you, which is what friends do is they we want to weep with our friends. We want to tell them how much we care about them. And one of my friends is here today, and I want to introduce her to you. Gabriella Berman, she is the marketing director for the, the Holocaust Museum and Farmington Hills Museum. But more than that, better than that, she is the wife of Adam she is the mother of four wonderful daughters, one, Michaela, that she may tell you about that is in heaven. But I've asked Gabriella to come because Adam and Gabriella have been such kind and good friends to Becky and I. And Gabriella, I have to admit something to you this morning, and I put this down so I wouldn't forget it. I confessed it to Adam after Becky brought the wrath of God down upon me. She is a wonderful cook. And I came to their house and devoured almost everything on the table. And we got in the car, and Becky says, I have never seen you eat like that. She goes, I go, honey, it was so good. So, Gabriella, I apologize for how much I ate. Please invite me back again. I want to come one more time. But would you welcome my dear friend, Gabriella Berman, this morning? I can tell you everything you're close. Yeah, I, I wait till I have to service. <laughs> well, we'll do it again very soon. Okay. We are tremendously humbled and moved to be with you this morning. Adam Kaplan is my husband, and he and Dennis really began this relationship a long, long time ago, and then um, it's flourished into a, a friendship between our families. So. Yes, I'm Gabriella Berman. I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications at the Zeckelman Holocaust Center in Farmington Hills. If you have not been, please, please come visit. Um, but more than that, I'm the daughter of survivors of Auschwitz who survived the Holocaust. Their numbers tattooed on their arms that they covered with Band-Aids for the rest of their lives. I never thought 
growing up that the Jewish people would be in the position that we are in today. I grew up so safe and proud and confident in my Jewish identity, I hardly had to give it a second thought. Knowing what my grandparents had gone through, I knew that I had an imperative to do something great with my life. And it was going to be so easy here in the United States where we had safe haven and security and a flourishing Judaism in the diaspora and the state of Israel, which we have been to many, many times. It is where Adam was born in Haifa. We have very strong connections to Israel. Most of our family lives there. We have taken our children there countless times. Two of our children just came back. And the Jewish people, I now realize, exists because of Israel. As we have seen in recent weeks, the Jewish people have nowhere else to go. There is no Judaism without the state of Israel. The rest of the world hates us. From time immemorial, anti-Semitism has raised its ugly, ugly head. And while I thought it was lying dormant, the events of October 7th have shown me, have thrown me actually into an existential crisis, the likes of which I never thought I would ever, ever experience. When people say that the events of October 7th in Israel in which 1,400 Jews were killed and 230 taken hostage, and they tell you that it was akin to 9-11, that's true. Proportionally, it is true. It's as though 50,000 Americans were killed in a single day. And when people say that it's the worst death toll of Jews since the Holocaust, that's also true. But as Dennis said earlier, God made us very, very good. That's true. He also gave us the capacity to distinguish between good and evil and to make individual choices, to act in abominable ways or to act in ways that are good. It's our choice. We have the agency to choose. The assault by Hamas was, but was done by individuals they chose to create hate, to live with hate, and to act with hate. They chose to do it, just like the Nazis and their collaborators, ordinary men and women at every level of society, chose. The Holocaust didn't fall from the sky. It was a series of choices made at every level of society. Don't be mistaken, Hamas operated in the same way. Individual human beings made the decision to act with utter evil. I'm so glad there are young people in the audience today. We were asked to come here and talk to you about how you can help and how can you bless Israel. Thank God we've had your blessings for thousands of years. You go back to Genesis, which we read yesterday. Genesis 12 through 18, there are a couple of instances where Israelites are blessed. Abraham is blessed. Abraham, by the way, just read his story. That's the development of humanity right there. That's the development of personal responsibility. At every turn, Abraham chose personal responsibility. He saved Lot from Sodom. Right? 
Even God teaches us throughout Genesis how to take personal responsibility. He instructs Abraham to, to sacrifice Isaac. And then he says, wait, no. The future of the world rests upon this decision. It's national suicide if he does it. Don't do it. When the children of Israel in the, are in the desert after the exodus from Egypt, God takes them out. He doesn't give them any food and they start to complain. Oh, let me take personal responsibility for them. And he sends manna from heaven. All of the Old Testament teaches us about the importance of personal responsibility and to see the humanity in the individual. That's what this comes down to. No matter what you believe, no matter what you think, you have to see the individual dignity, the inherent humanity in every individual. It's the only way forward. It's the only way forward. And so how can you bless us? How can you bless the Jewish people now? I'm begging you to be our ally. Silence is complicity. We know it all too well. There's no neutrality in this situation. You must stand up to hate where you see it. You must call it out. If you are on TikTok, if you are on social media, you must correct misinformation. You must lead with the facts. What's happening in Israel is not genocide. Excuse me, what's happening in Gaza is not genocide. Genocide is the willful intent to destroy an entire people. That's not what Israel is doing. Israel was attacked. Israel is retaliating with war. War and genocide are not, are not equivalent. Israel left the Gaza Strip in 2006. We are not occupiers. So when people tell you that Israel is occupying and we have to end the occupation, what occupation? Just correct the facts. You can find them online. Okay, please, we need you more than ever. The PR machine against us is tremendous. It's the one thing they're good at. We need you to stand with us. Get involved civically. If you go to your school board meetings, go more. Okay, you see what's happening on college campuses. We have a 12th grader. We're very concerned about where she should go to school next year and which schools she will not be applying to. She's a brilliant child. Any campus would be over the moon to have a child like that on their, in their class. They're losing out. They're going to be losing out. So those who bless us will be blessed. So please, get involved in your schools, in your civic organizations that you are part of, and don't stand idly by. Next year's an election year, please vote. Okay, we as Americans are so, are so blessed to have that right. And just to call out hate speech when you see it, wherever you see it. Hate is dangerous. We know the dangers of unchecked hate. We know where it can lead, and silence has consequences. Silence has consequences. So I thank you so much for listening, and please stand with us, and um, God bless you all. Gabriella, this church does stand with Israel and stand with you. God bless you. You may be seated. Never forget, Jesus was a Jew. <clears throat> the early church was primarily Jewish. But just a moment ago, as I introduced Gabriella, I told you we weep with our friends.
We mourn with our friends. Don't ever tell somebody to stop crying. Don't ever tell someone that it's not manly to cry. Tears are healthy. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 4, there is a time to cry and there is a time to laugh and a time to grieve and a time to dance. Tears are a gift to us from God. Job's friends, at first they did so well. The Bible tells us of how they, they just cried bitterly. And I look at that passage and I think to myself, if, if God had not intended us to cry, he would not have given us tear ducts. He wouldn't have given us the ability to physically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally grieve with one another. Job 2.12, the Bible tells us that Job's friends, they, they cried bitterly. I mean, it's a loud. It was like a man who told me yesterday, he goes, I am a, I am a nasty, sloppy crier. I said, I've never seen a nasty, sloppy crier. He goes, you haven't seen me cry before. And some of us, that may be true of us, but to cry bitterly is to, to be able to express those emotions. Tears are a, a sign of love. They're not a sign of weakness. You're all familiar with that beautiful story of, in the Bible where Jesus comes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And the Bible tells us this story. It says, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died and when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people weeping with her, a, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? And they told him, Lord, come and see. And these next two words are so profound, and they are so filled with power. Maybe you pride yourself that you know the shortest verse in the Bible. But when you look at this, if we're going to be like Jesus, if, if what I said earlier, if we're going to be like our Savior, then we have to learn how to weep and to mourn with our friends. For Jesus wept. And the people who were standing nearby said, read it with me, see how much he loved him. Read that again. See how much he loved him. Tears are a sign of our love and our compassion. They bond people together in friendship, and they build us into a community when we learn to grieve together. I remember the night of 9-11 when we threw open the doors of this, of this sanctuary to this community and just simply put it on our old sign. And this place was standing room only as people came together to weep bitterly what had happened in New York City when our nation had come under attack. But there's another passage that I tell you I really don't fully understand, and I'm not going to try and help you understand it. It's just one of those things that I believe because it's in God's Word. But God even collects my tears. You keep track of all my sorrows, and you have collected all my tears in your bottle, and you have recorded each one in your book. I don't know if that means that God just remembers them or if there's a literal bottle in heaven where God collects our tears. But whatever it means, God remembers your grief and the tears that you cry. And this is what I found from my own life experience. After my tears comes the strength. After the tears comes the strength. One of my good friends, we were having lunch together one day, and he sent me an email following that lunch because 
I watched him in a public restaurant just begin to weep and cry as he remembered some painful instant in his life. And in that moment, we were just silent while he wept. And later on that week, he sent me an email and says, thank you for being comfortable with my tears. And I was able to tell him that God is comfortable with our tears. We should also be comfortable without looking the other way or ashamed of one another's tears. Thirdly, I'd say this to you, reach out quickly. When someone is in grief or someone is in pain, it's called initiative, it's called love, it's called care. It's just reach out quickly just to let them know you're there. You don't have to give advice, just let them know you're there. Look again at the book of Job. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and they traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Notice what their goal was. At some cost and at some distance, they traveled because they just wanted to be of consolation and comfort to their friend. But when you get there, I'm going to say it politely, and then I'm going to say it the way I really feel it, okay? And I hope you'll still love me and you'll still respect me. When you get there, be quiet. That's a really nice way of saying, shut up. And Becky doesn't like for me to say that. Just show up and shut up. Be there and be present and be quiet. And for seven, Job 2.13, for seven days and nights, they sat silently on the ground beside him because they realized what terrible pain he was in. Look at me for just a moment. Unsolicited advice is unwelcome advice. When people aren't asking for your opinion, they're not going to welcome your opinion. Let them grieve, and then when they're ready, they will talk. You see, the fact of the matter is, I often quote from the book of Job, as you know, there's a lot of wisdom in Job. It's just giving advice at the wrong time and also giving advice because they assume they know the whole story, and they don't. But finally this morning, remember one day, oh, this is enough to make you cry tears of joy. One day, God will wipe away all tears. Can you say amen to that? One day, God will wipe away all tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more dying and death. Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 8, the Lord all-powerful will destroy the power of death and wipe away all tears, and no longer will his people be insulted everywhere. The Lord has spoken. Let's read that last line together. The Lord has spoken. One more time. The Lord has spoken that one day, that day is not now, but that day is coming. Look at with me, if you would, at the book of Revelation, and this is the song that Becky was leading us from this morning when we were singing about the incense. He will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There will be no more death, suffering, crying, or pain. These things of the past are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write down what I have said. My words are true and can be trusted. And everything is finished. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will freely give water from the life-given fountain to everyone who is thirsty, and all who win the victory will be given these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my people.
You know, one of the things we ask you here at Woodland, as you go through our discipleship classes and courses, we ask you your story. We ask you to tell us your experiences in that story. We want to know your good experiences and your painful experiences. And we make a covenant with you that whatever you share stays quiet, it stays private. But we ask you to pray about because there comes a time for the pain you've been through. God is going to use your pain to help someone else through their crisis and through their struggle. And a few moments ago, I asked you to raise your hands, and almost everyone in this room lifted your hands and just said, you've been in a crisis, you've been in pain. One night, a man came to my door, angry, bitter, furious. Now, I look like Mickey Mouse next to King Kong standing to him. So I want you to get this picture. Suddenly, he starts pounding on my chest. You don't know what it means to suffer. You don't know what it means to hurt. You don't know what it means for this. And so finally, I asked him, please stop beating me up. <laughs> and so I just taught him a little bit of my story, and that big hunk of a man broke down and started crying. And I'll never forget these words. You understand. You understand. You understand. Sometimes people in pain, they will hurt you until they know you have walked through your own personal pain. Maybe not what they walked through, but your own personal pain. And you've got a story to tell. And until the day he went to heaven, that man was one of my best friends. Would you stand with me this morning? I'd like to pray with you. Those of you that are watching online, unless you're driving, would you just bow your heads and would you pray with me as well? And I'm going to ask you all to just pray a prayer after me this morning. Would you pray this with me and say, Father, help me to recognize my friend's grief. And just pray it quietly. You don't have to pray it out loud. Father, help me to see tears as a sign of love and not weakness. And to be able to weep with my friends. God, I'm asking you this morning to give me the courage to take the initiative just to be there. And when I'm tempted to speak, help me to stay silent. Help me just to sit with my friends in their grief. I ask you, Lord, to teach me the value of praying, of talking to you about my problems, my pain, my bitterness, my hurt, my betrayals. Heal me, Lord, of unreconciled and unresolved hurt and pain. 
until I can open up and share with someone created in your image that I know will pray for me. And finally, Father, I ask you to make me a man like John Perkins. To stand up for justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with you and with others, but always to advocate for reconciliation and for love through Christ our Lord. Now, if you've never committed your life to Christ and you're, you're either here or you're watching online and you feel just somehow or another drawn, you can't explain it. Matter of fact, you may have never even thought about it before. But at this very moment, you feel drawn to commit your life to Christ. Would you pray with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for mine. Thank you for taking my sins upon yourself. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. And I ask you to fill my heart with your love, fill my heart with your peace, And help me to learn how to love you, how to know you, how to become a passionate follower of Christ, not to earn my way, but just to be like you. So as much as I know how, I'm committing my life to you today, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, your heads are bowed. If you prayed that with me, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I'm not going to call you out. I won't bird dog you. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Someone else say, I prayed that prayer with you. God bless you, sweetheart. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. God bless you, buddy. Well, can we give the Lord a hand of praise for these that are saying, I'm committing my life to Jesus. And I'm so grateful for those of you that are watching online. Last week, we had over 1,100 people worship with us online. And so if you committed your life to Jesus today, would you let us know that? You can email us here at Woodland. I have something I'd love to send you, to give you. Those of you that you've indicated you committed your life to Christ, if you'll stop by our connections table outside, we'd love to give you something to help you get started with your walk in Christ. Now, let me be clear. We're not, we have a saying in the South, we're not going to bird dog you. We're not going to be knocking on your door or filling up your inbox, but I would love to send you something to help you get started your life in Jesus. And if you need help, all you got to do is holler. Amen? That's all you got to do is you got to holler and we'll be there. Well, may the Lord bless us with an ability not only to be compassionate, but to be empathetic. And may his grace and his smile and his favor be upon us in all that we do. And may the fragrance of Christ go with you wherever you go. God bless you. Go in peace today. Amen.